Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, if you want to have a seat, and uh, we are going to be back in Galatians chapter 5 today. So if you have your Bibles with you, or there should be one in one of the seat pockets around you, um, or it lives in your phone as well, uh, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. We are in week 6 of a 10-week series on uh, what the Apostle Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. So let me give a very brief reminder of the foundation of what we're talking about here. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Galatia, and it's kind of an angry letter uh, because he's, uh, he's concerned for them. Because when he came and started the church there in Galatia, he, uh, he laid a foundation of what is, uh, what is faithful Christianity, and that is a gospel of grace, a gospel that says a good news that says that we are saved not by our own merit and our own goodness and our own earning, but rather by the initiative of God who has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ, who has taken upon him our sins and the punishment for our sins. And when we repent and believe in him, that, that our sins are replaced by his righteousness, what C.S. Lewis would call the great exchange. Uh, and that in uh, that we now live in uh, under a state of grace in Jesus Christ if we belong to him. That was what Paul preached 2,000 years ago, what we preach even still today in the Christian church. Now, in Galatia, after Paul had left, a group of folks came in called the Judaizers. And these folks said, yeah, that grace thing, that's good, right? Jesus, we like that. But you also, you need to follow Jesus and you also need to keep the law of the Old Testament. You need to keep the, the moral commandments, uh, the ceremonial commandments of the law. One of the sticking points was really circumcision because in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the sign that you were part of the people of God was circumcision. So then after Jesus, did we need to be circumcised or did we not? And Paul was saying, no, those are, those are external signs of, of, uh, of a of a pursuit of holiness by our own strength and merit. And now we're under grace. But he then goes on to say, but that doesn't mean that, that because we're not under the law anymore, because we're, because we're not prosecuted by the same law anymore, we're under grace. That doesn't mean that we behave any way that we want to or act any way that we want to or think any way that we want to. In fact, the standard is actually raised from where the law used to be. And it deals not just with our external actions, but with our internal hearts. Jesus talked a lot about this in the Sermon on the Mount. And so here in Galatians, Paul sets these two things apart. He says, there's the flesh and then there's the spirit. And he says in Galatians 5, 17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other. And so he's saying before Jesus, we lived by the desires of our flesh. After Jesus, we 
our, those desires of our flesh are to be crucified and that we should, uh, that we should be pursuing the desires of God. And he says this, the works of the flesh, this is verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And I warn you, he says, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, this, this is when we operate in our flesh. But when our sinful fleshy desires have been crucified by Christ, we are uh, we are we receive the Holy Spirit and new desires, new actions, new behaviors, new ways of thinking should start to present themselves in us that actually mirror the desires of God and the character of God and who God is. And so he says the works of the flesh, that's that list I just read. But then he says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that when the Spirit of God lives within us, it should start to bear fruit. And just like fruit in your garden or on a tree, it starts small and it gets bigger and it grows and it grows and it grows in your life. And so that's what he's calling us to here is to participate with the Spirit, not to say, okay, so now to earn heaven, we have to be loving and we have to be joyful and we have to have peace and we have to have patience. So we have to earn. No, no, no. He's saying it's not about earning into heaven. It's not about earning the favor of God. That is given to us by the unearned grace of Jesus Christ. But then he's transforming it so that when we are shattered by his love for us, we desire the things that that he desires and brings about the goodness and the harmony and righteousness that God brings. And so we are called then to participate with the work of the Holy Spirit, bearing this fruit in our life. And so we've gone through love, joy, peace, patience, and now we are into kindness. So some scholars think that these nine fruits, um, just to let you know, in the first service, I said these nine fruits. I don't know what happened there. So after practice uh, here in the second service. So this is why you come to the second service because we practice in the first one and you get a good sermon in the second one uh, as, uh, that can, when we actually can count. Um, so the, uh, the, <laughs> the, nine, uh, the nine fruits of the Spirit, some, some scholars think they're divided up in groups of three. Love, joy, peace being our disposition towards God that starts to spill over in our lives. The second three, patience, kindness, and goodness being our disposition towards other people because of our relationship with God. And then the final three, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are about integrity and character uh, of which all of these things are founded. So kindness is part of this then, our disposition towards others. And kindness is quite simple, in fact. Kindness simply is desiring the blessing and flourishing of others. That's it. It's and taking that desire and putting it in action. If that, that love is the first of the fruit of the Spirit that are listed, and all of the others are a part of love, kindness is love in action. It's doing something with the love that you have for other people. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13 that's read at every wedding everywhere for all time, right? Love is patient and love is kind, right? That love is kind. And so, so this is, again, we're going to say this over and over again. Kindness is actively working for the blessing and welfare of others. And there's a big spectrum then of kindness. Sometimes it's small things. It's just simply smiling at the barista when he or she brings you your coffee. That can be kindness, right? It can just be, it can simply be, I, I want to look them in the eye and, and with my, without even having to say anything, just show them I'm for you, right? I just, I want you to be blessed. I don't need to know anything else about you, who you are, where you came from. I don't need to know your political affiliation. I don't need to know what kind of music you listen to. I don't need to know what sports fan you are. Um, it does not matter. I just want to look in your eyes and you to know when I look at you that I want what's best for you. I want you to flourish. It's just kindness, right? And so it can be small things like that or it can, uh, it can range on from there. My birthday was a few weeks ago, and a lot of members of our staff wrote me notes and put them on my desk. Just say happy birthday. That was kind, right? And it, and it meant something. Uh, and it wasn't big, and it wasn't huge, but it meant something. And I have all those notes in my desk drawer, right? Because they mean something. Um, every now and then, someone stops by my office with a bottle of bourbon. It's kindness, friends. Um, it's really what it is, if you're taking note, um, the, um, of just reaching out to bless someone else, not in payment, not in payment, but just because you're kind, because you, you want to bless others. My father died when I was very young. I was 10 years old when my father died. Our neighbor next door um, mowed our yard for six months. Just my brother was going off to college. We went from a family of four to a family of two. We had, you can imagine, a lot going on, right? Um, uh, and uh, and so he just said, "Look, here's one less thing for you to worry about. When I mow my grass, I'm going to mow your grass too. I got to ride in lawnmower. I can do the whole thing. It's just not that big of a deal." Six months, he did it. Right? There was another guy in our church when uh, when I was growing up who uh, who owned a. I remember I grew up the coast of North Carolina, and so he owned a uh, fishing charter, uh, and uh, and he. Uh, when he would have a cancellation or an opening, uh, he'd call me up on a Friday night, sometimes at 10 o'clock at night, and say, hey, Dan, I've got, a, uh, uh, I've got an opening in the morning. You have to be at the dock at 4.30. Do you want to go? Uh, and he would take me fishing because he knew my dad was not there anymore to take me fishing. It's kindness. And now, 30-something years later, when I'm preparing a sermon on kindness and I'm going through the list in my head, who's been kind to me? These faces come up, and they made a difference. For me, And I promise you, there is a reason, one of the reasons that I'm standing up here preaching the word of God as a priest in God's one holy Catholic apostolic church is because that guy mowed my grass from my church and that guy took me fishing. From it's just kindness. It's just true kindness. I went last week to, um, uh, I was in upstate New York last week. My aunt died and I took my mother up to uh, her sister's funeral, and uh, and there got to meet a man who went to visit her every week for two years when she was in a nursing home that was 40 minutes away. And he went, he was from her church. He went and prayed with her and talked with her, even when she was in times when she couldn't talk back. He went every week to be with her for two years. Then I met her neighbor from two houses down who was this adorable 
85-year-old woman. Um, and she was about this tall, and she was wearing this big puffy coat, uh, and it was like 70. Uh, and so, but it was, uh, and, uh, and she was so sweet. Um, and, uh, and she lived a couple houses down from my aunt. And while my aunt was off in the nursing home, uh, she came by every day for two years to feed her cat and to, from the nursing home. And she just loved her as a friend. And so she cared for her cat. It's just simply kindness. But here's, so here's the question, right? Like on one hand, we're talking about the, uh, the big things of God. And, and that, of course, if we're looking at kindness being love and action and love for the benefit of others, and we're going to talk in a minute as well as about how kindness actually costs us something too. The quintessential example of this then, this should be no shocker for you, is the cross, right? Is God who is kind to us when even when we were in rebellion against him, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the scripture says. He, he came to be one of us and in, fact, uh, and in fact went to the cross in our stead. It's love and action. It's kindness for, uh, for us. And if we're looking at kindness, if that is the, the most amazing example of kindness that, that has ever happened ever, and then we're talking about a lady feeding someone else's cat. Does that matter? Does it matter? Well, and, and this is just like we talked about with, with patients last week, that what, what this is about is not, the, is not the act of feeding the cat. That's part of, it's part of it. But what, is, what the scripture is calling us to is a disposition of our heart. That's what matters. And then the actions come out of it. The actions didn't earn anything. But the actions come out of the fact that we're kind people. Why? Because God was kind to us. Because God was kind and died on the cross for us. He's now transforming us. He didn't just die on the cross so that we can be angry, snarly people, but then have a nice, happy place to go when we die. He showed us kindness. And then he says, I want to, I want to heal you from your sins so that you can be restored in the image of your creator. And the image of your creator is kind. And, and so, so does it matter? Yes, it does. One, it matters in the life and heart of that woman who went to go feed her cat. It also matters to, as a witness to all of the people in that neighborhood who knew that for two years she went down there out of sheer kindness. It ministered to my family as, uh, as we were at the funeral and, uh, and heard these stories and learned these truths. He was witnessing to the kindness of God to people in the depths of their grief. Does it matter? Yes, it does. Because God is kind and we become kind people and start to naturally act in kind ways. Jesus would tell stories of fruit trees and other places too, where he's like, look, okay, it's a... The uh, healthy fruit comes from a healthy tree. I mean, and, and so whatever that tree is, is what kind of fruit it bears. Um, and so we want to be a, a Jesus tree, right? That bears Jesus kind of fruit. And he's restoring us in that image. And so if you're like, okay, okay, I still hear what you're saying. Um, I can see how acts of kindness sort of matter, but I can see visiting someone in a nursing home every week for two years. That's kind of a Jesus-y thing to do. I get that. Um, or stopping to help someone change their tire on, on the side of the road. I can see that. That's definitely a Jesus-y thing to do. Or, um, or 
um, volunteering at a food bank or at the farm to help prepare things for our immigrant ministry. Uh, and uh, I get that. That's, that all, that all, all sort of makes sense, but I'm still sort of struggling over the cat. Like I'm still struggling over feeding the cat. Does that, does that, I still, I, like the other things, see, I get the significance, but this, but see, don't you see how our hearts continually go back to earning? We, we constantly have a scale of, of what is more important than others. And why do we need to do these things when we can do big things of kindness? And the little things, they don't really matter. Your big things of kindness don't matter any more than the little things of kindness. You are not earning your salvation. You are, your good deeds are like filthy rags in the eyes of God. That's what it says. Without Jesus, we have no ability to be able to please him at all because in the grand scheme of things, even our greatest act of kindness does not in any way live up to the cross itself. So why do we even have a scale? Because for us, it always comes back to the flesh and earning and more and better and bigger. And that's not the way that God understands you. He's making you kind. Are you being kind? Are you putting your love in action? And the rest of it about how it all pans out and what impact it has and where, that's all God's business. Are you in your heart kind? So yes, there is a purpose in our kindness, a purpose of obedience to God, a purpose of for knowing him more, a purpose of serving others and being a witness to him as well. Because I promise you that if you want to be able to talk to people about the greatest act of kindness of all time, the cross, and you want the people who you love to come to know Jesus, you need to be able to do that out of a place of kindness. You have so much more credibility if you have shown that you are for them and that you want their blessing. You want them to flourish, right? So if Jesus committed the quintessential act of kindness, the, the perfect example of kindness in every way, uh, if, of love in action on the cross, so let's very briefly look at what can we learn about from, from Jesus? What can we learn about kindness from Jesus? What, what are some of the things in his life, his actions we can learn from him uh, to see how kindness should look in our lives as well. First thing is, Jesus shows us that kindness is intentional. He didn't accidentally get on the cross, right? Like he pursued us in that. There was, a, there was an intentionality in that. And so kindness, kindness sometimes happens accidentally because it becomes a part of who you are and it's just your natural reaction to other people as well. But most oftentimes kindness takes an intentionality. Jesus was full of compassion in his life. And he had a lot of things to take care of during his short 30-something years of life and only three years of active ministry. So in three years, he had to, let's see, what was on his list? I don't know, raise up 12 disciples that were then going to start the church, um, carry the sins of the entire world, ascend into heaven, send the Holy Spirit. It's a long, important list to take care of in three years. And yet, in all of his traveling and teaching and miracles, he always saw the hurting and the oppressed. It, there was an intentionality of seeing them and hearing them and being available to them. If we're honest, aren't we oftentimes so busy and lack so much margin that we don't even see 
the opportunities for kindness around us because we are running so hard, so fast with our faces and devices all of the time. You hear me talk about this all the time from up here. I think this is one of the biggest spiritual obstacles that we have in our life because if we're here, we're only concerned about this and this and we're not concerned about all the people who are around us. And so we won't even see the acts of kindness that, that we could be called to be a part of. Jesus saw, even with all he had going on. And so that means if we're going to be intentional about being kind and, 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 uh, and taking action, you might have to budget money to be kind. You're like, I would like to help other people, but I don't, I don't have any money to be able to help do that. Then budget money to be able to help them. Have a kindness line item in your budget. If you're like, yeah, that'd be great to have a line. I don't have a budget. Then get a budget and then put a line item in it for kindness. Uh, all of everything around us in our lives need to be wrapped around how do we be this servant of Christ. Last week in patience, we talked about go to bed earlier so you don't wake up grumpy, right? Um, I would also say if you want to be intentional about being kind, you need to start every day in a place where you pray for kindness. Reflect on the generosity of God and his kindness towards you and pray, Lord, give me kindness today because there's so many other things in my life that are teaching me how not to be. And I have a lot of learned behavior in my life that my first reaction to things is not always kind. I need you to bring kindness into my life. And then if you go, yeah, Dan, I get that, but you should see our mornings at my house where I'm trying to shove all the kids in the car and they've got like sandwiches they're putting in bags and they're half-dressed. And I'm like, get in the car because we have to go. So here's what I would say. Well, since you're going to bed earlier, get up a little earlier to make time so that you have 20 minutes in the morning to just breathe, center your day around Christ, begin with knowing that his mercies are new every morning, know his kindness, beg for his, his presence with you, take a deep breath, and then enter into your day. Kindness begins before it's, the moment is presented to you. It's how are we prepared for those times leading up to it. You have to be intentional about these things. And that's what God is calling us to. Because when, because when we engage in these things, these kind of spiritual practices and disciplines in our lives, and we see the entirety of our lives as wrapping around God, there is a, this is not a pressure of do better, try harder, be kinder, and God will like you. What happens is when we spend this kind of time with God, we get to know him more and the joys of him and the freedom of him and the goodness of him. And so we actually know the joy and kindness of him, and it just sloshes over onto other people. This is all about Jesus. It's all about his work, and it's all about us enjoying him and sharing him with others. So kindness is intentional. It's about having a favorable disposition towards others. And that may have to work against your normal temperament. Right? Um, you can take personality tests, um, but personality tests don't tell you who you should be in Jesus. Uh, and so, uh, so how do you learn how to be kind? You reflect on Jesus. And you pray for eyes to see and a heart that responds with compassion. Jesus teaches us that kindness is intentional. Jesus also teaches us that kindness costs us something. Again, looking to the primary example of kindness, the cross, it costs Jesus his very life. 
not all of your acts of kindness are going to cost you your very life. Sometimes very little. Sometimes all it takes is smiling at someone costs little except for your attention on them. Just for a moment, just your attention on them. That's all it costs you in that moment. Sometimes if you're going to write a note to somebody just to say, this is one of the things I love to do. I love to write notes. Um, I take time every morning uh, to, to write notes and just to write notes to say, hey, I was praying for you this morning. Here are the things that I was praying about for you. Love Dan, right? And I stick it in an envelope and I mail it off to folks so that they can get it a couple of days later and go, I was being prayed for. I was being thought about, right? So that cost me some time um, stationary, a stamp, it keeps getting higher, but the, uh, uh, in a, uh, so it, it takes some, it takes some effort. It's not a lot, but it takes some, right? And I have to budget for that, uh, to be able to be able, uh, to be able to offer that kind of act of kindness. Sometimes, sometimes you're making a meal for somebody when they're in a place of crisis, or you know what, what if you made a meal for somebody when they weren't in a place of crisis? Just because you went, I love them and I want to simply bless them. Then you have to buy the chicken and the cream of mushroom soup and whatever else you put in casseroles and bake them and, uh, and send them to folks. It's going to cost you something. And then you can go up from there. If you are in prison ministry, that's kindness. And it costs you something. If you're in mission work overseas, if you are serving the poor, if you are visiting someone in a nursing home, if you are the long-term caregiver for someone who is, uh, who is terminally ill, this is kindness and it costs. Because kindness leaves us vulnerable. Kindness leaves us vulnerable. It leaves us vulnerable to people who would manipulate us, uh, who would take advantage of us. At the very least, it leads us, uh, it leaves us vulnerable to being underappreciated, right? Um, and so this is why we have to find our identity and our defense in Jesus. Because when we find we, when we find that in Jesus, when we find our our entire being in Jesus, we don't have to have then from others, uh, the, we don't have to use them as commodities or a means to an end to give us uh, validation and to give us blessing. And to, we have all of that from Jesus. And so we don't have to be kind waiting for a response. Now you got to be kind to me. Or, um, well, you don't deserve kindness, and so I'm not going to give it to you. That's not why we're kind. You don't deserve kindness either, and yet God is kind to you. And when we find that kind of identity in Christ, people stop being things that we have to manipulate or that we need stuff from all the time. That's not downplaying community. We talk about that all the time in other places. But we, don't, we aren't needy in that same way because we find our fulfillment in Christ and that leaves us at the place then we can even receive insults from someone and still be kind. Because we find our hope and our strength and our provision in Jesus. Kindness leaves us vulnerable. Jesus told a story that pe- most people know, even if they're Christian or not Christian, even haven't even read their Bible. It's called the Good Samaritan, right? And this is a story of kindness. The story is um, uh, an Israeli was was walking down the road, was, was set upon by bandits and thieves. He was stripped naked, beaten, robbed, left half dead on the side of the road. First guy that walks by is a priest, uh, and he sees him and then intentionally walks on the other side of the road around him, potentially maybe because he could have been ceremonially unclean because if he touched blood, there's, uh, this is a, that's another sermon for another day. But then the next guy is a Levite, who's another 
religious leader, church leader, we'll call him, uh, and saw the, the guy in a pitiful state in the ditch on the side and said, I don't want to get involved in that. And then walked on the other side of the road past him. And then a Samaritan. Samaritans were despised. It has to do with the exile. Um, when Israel is taken to exile and some people weren't. And again, don't have time for it today. But they were, they were despised. So if you, if you want to put it in today's language, there's some kind of parallel to the idea of there's an Israeli beaten and bloody in the ditch and someone from Hamas comes by and sees them and helps them. Like that's, that's the kind of uh, uh, startling story this would have been for the Israelite people when Jesus told them this story. And the good Samaritan picks the guy up cleans him off, and in doing so, made himself vulnerable because it wasn't an uncommon practice for bandits to use a decoy, right? Put somebody on the side of the road so it looks like they need help. When someone goes and helps them, we actually rob that guy. And so he put himself in a vulnerable position. He probably ruined his own clothes, picking up the bloody naked guy out of the ditch, right? Uh, And then he got him by his own physical exertion to an inn where he paid for him to be cleaned up and medical care and to be put up and to heal and to, uh, and to be fed. And he said, uh, here's, here's what I'm going to pay for right now. If that's not enough, I'm coming back through and I'll take care of the rest. It cost him dearly. Kindness sometimes, oftentimes costs us. It leaves us vulnerable and it costs us. So here's a, uh, here, here's a story. So so I was, uh, when I was growing up, my mom taught me that I was supposed to open doors for people, right? So I'd be 10 years old and walking behind her and we'd be going into a store or something and I wasn't paying any attention. And all of a sudden I'd run into the back of her, right? And she would just be standing in front of the door like this. And I'd go like, are we going in? What are we doing? She'd go, I don't know. Are you going to open the door for me? Right? And I'd go, oh, right. And so, so then I had to come around and open the door and then she would go in, right? And so, uh, so I learned that's what you do. That's what I was talking. That's a sign of respect. It's just because I would ask her, you know, uh, as as young teens have a tendency to do. That doesn't make any sense, right? Like, why, why, why? You can open your own door. Why do I have to open your door for you? She said, "Yes, I can open my own door." But is the sign that you love me and respect me, and that you want to do that for me? And so you're going to do that for me, right? <laughs> okay. And so I learned. So, right, we teach our boys that. We're like, mom doesn't open the door. You open the door for her to bless her in that. So I became a student at Chapel Hill um, and went to, it was my first semester there. I was like 17 or 18 years old. I get there, I'm walking up the stairs in one of my classrooms. Uh, there's somebody following me up the stairs. I open the door like this and step back. And she comes up, puts her finger right in my face and goes, do you think that because I'm a woman, you as a man has to open the door. Like I can't open the door for myself. And I was going like, look, my mom and I'd run into her. And then I had to like, I just, I'm just, I'm just, just being nice. That's like, I didn't, there was no political statement in this whatsoever. I'm just, that's it. Like just, it's a portal to a classroom, right? I mean, there's nothing more except I just want you to be respected and cared for, even though I don't know who you are. That's all that it is. Other people may respond to your kindness feeling judged or convicted or angry or that you're giving some kind of unwanted charity. That's their junk. That's their sin. We don't open the doors for people because they have earned it. We do it. We open doors for people because Christ has loved us. And we go, bless you, right? Like 
if you if it makes you feel bad, I'll close the door. You can open it up and walk in if you want to. I don't like we and then we open the door for the next person. <laughs> and we just keep doing that because it is who we are in Christ to love and respect people no matter who they are, where they come from, or how they respond to us. And that costs you sometimes. It costs you swallowing your own pride. It costs you swallowing your own justice and vengeance. It costs you something to just be kind. And as they yell at you, pray for them as they go in the door. And then repent from all of the things you said under your breath while you were praying for them, right? That's okay. Like you're in, a, you're in that stressful place of, uh, of old man, new man. I get it. But so, so kindness will cost us something. Now, here's something else that Jesus teaches us too. Jesus also teaches us that kindness is not always nice. Kind and nice are not the same thing, okay? Um, we can be very nice in the South in a very unkind way right? I mean, if you've been down, you know what I'm talking about. Like we, we can be very cheerful and syrupy sweet on the top and very bitter underneath and undermining underneath. That's not what we're being called to. And a lot of kind things that you want the flourishing and blessing of others feels not nice. It, it actually sometimes means telling people no or stop or the desires of your flesh aren't the things that are going to be able to bring the flourishing for you that you want to have. That's what that's a theological language that Paul used, right? But here, but here's a non-theological way of looking at this. Kindness is not always nice. Um, when when my kids would have splinters growing up, they did not want their splinters taken out, right? Um, it hurt, and, and but then it would turn red, you know, and then sometimes you'd get that little like pus bump on the top of it, and their finger would be hurting, and they, but they didn't want you to take it out. So what is kindness in that moment? Kindness is not, well, I don't want to hurt you any further. And so let your finger rot off. No, that's not, that's unkind, right? What is kind is sitting on them and lifting their legs up between your, or their, your arm up between your legs like this, holding their little hand while they're screaming underneath you, right? And, uh, and yanking that splinter out. And then they, they get up and they go, oh, that feels better. Is that kind? Yes, it is. Is it nice? I don't know. But niceness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Kindness is. And sometimes kindness hurts. This is where there's a real struggle even within the church is supposed to be kind. And so many people have a narrative that says I've been hurt by the church. And uh, I talked with Kurt Thompson one time. Kurt Thompson is a, um, a Christian psychologist, writes a bunch of really fantastic books um, that I would encourage you to read. And I said to him, how do we minister to folks well um, uh, who have a narrative of being hurt by the church? He said, well, he said, Dan, here's, here's what you really have to do is you have to have good conversations uh, and you have to be able to peel apart that there's a difference between hurt and harmed. Um, and sometimes the church hurts. It should hurt when we read the scripture and we go, ooh, like that, 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 I just, it's convicting for me. And that hurt. I hear things that make me go, ah, that makes me realize that I'm not as perfect as I thought that I was going to be, right? Um, that maybe I need a savior more. That can hurt. There's a difference between hurt and harm. The church should never harm. Abuse is never an okay thing, right? There's never cover-ups, never all of those sort of things that are true, legit hurt um, that has moved to harm are not okay. What's tragic is when someone is 
convicted or pressed back against uh, and their feelings get hurt. And then they remove themselves from the church. That's, that's different. The church isn't always nice because the church wants you to flourish and be blessed. And sometimes that means saying very difficult things that can hurt to hear. And so there's a difference between hurt and harm. As Christians, we sometimes have to lovingly hurt in appropriate ways. We never harm. We never cause damage in that way. We never abuse. So here's another way for how you can apply this to your own life as well. You, uh, you are not allowed to be a jerk. As a Christian, it's sort of a rule um, that you can't be a jerk. And here's what I mean. You can disagree. You can, uh, you, can, uh, you can think that you have the moral high ground and that you are right, but you cannot tear other people down. You cannot rip them apart. You cannot speak to them in disrespectful ways. You cannot because we're kind. We're kind. And so you can disagree with kindness. You can, you can even be angry with someone and still be kind in how we do it, right? And so if it helps you with better modern language, Christians aren't jerks. We're also not pushovers. We're kind. And kindness has to do with truth. And kindness has to do with the flourishing of others. And sometimes the biggest kindness is being willing to tell people things that they don't want to hear. So kindness is not always nice, but we're always kind. So let me finish with this. Jesus then raises the bar even farther because it's fun to be kind to people that we love or like. Jesus shows us that kindness is not only for those that we love or like, or even for those who are safe. Kindness is for everyone. Jesus died on the cross for sinners, not just the people they like. He has love for everyone, not the people who he enjoyed being around. I imagine Jesus was like us in every way. There were probably people that Jesus's personality didn't mesh well with. Right? Like, like James and John, when they brought their mom, uh, and their mom was like, hey, uh, when you enter into glory, Jesus, can my son sit on your right hand and left hand? And Jesus is looking at them like, are we really having this conversation right now? Did you, a grown man, bring your mom to come and ask you? Like, do you think there was this moment in Jesus when he was going, what are you? But he's still kind, right? And, uh, or for the Pharisees who are persecuting him, or for the Romans who crucified him, there's still a kindness. And so here's the question for you. How are you, how am I kind to our enemies? Or those that we don't like, or our office rival, or the girl or guy at school that we just can't stand. We want to see something bad happen to them. We're called to be kind because God's attitude towards us when we were unkind to him was to be kind back to us in his crucifixion, in his resurrection. Who in your life needs kindness? Who do you not want to give it to? Pray for those folks and learn how to be kind to them. And you know what? They might ridicule you for it. They might mock you for it. They might get away with things that you don't think that they should get away with because you are kind 
that it doesn't matter because you are reflecting the character of Jesus who has loved you and been kind to you and died on the cross for you while you were in active rebellion against him. And the prayer is that through our kindness, we will have the opportunity to bring conversion to others as well who will know this Jesus that we know and this joy that we know and the fulfillment that we know in the grace of Jesus Christ. So friends, may we simply be a kind people. Be kind. Let us be known for our kindness and our intentionality and being kindness and, and, and being kind and then treating others well, not because they deserve it, but because Jesus has treated us well, even when we didn't deserve it. And we want to share his image and bear the fruit of his spirit. Pray with me. Lord, Help us, help us be kind um, in all that you had going on with, with the magnitude of things that, uh, that were a part of your incarnated life. Still, you were just simply kind. Help us change tires and feed cats and write notes and, uh, and visit people in the nursing home and make people meals and smile at people and open doors for folks and let people in in traffic and, uh, and let us let us do it at cost to ourselves. Um, and let us remember that, that this isn't karma. We're not racking up points. We're not earning anything. But that out of the grace that you have given us, you are changing our hearts to turn us into kind people who naturally do kind things. Give us eyes to see those opportunities for kindness, boldness to act upon them as well. And Lord, let us be witnesses for you by our simplicity in the kind way that we treat others for their blessing and their flourishing and your glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen.